Welcome back to the Alpha Females Invest podcast, two females working in the finance industry searching for Alpha. My name is Clooney. And my name's Emily. And together we bring diversified perspectives from the buy and sell side of the finance world. As usual, any information disclosed in this podcast is not financial advice. All opinions reflect those of the individuals. You should always read the PDS and talk to a financial advisor who can consider your personal circumstances before you invest. And this podcast is intended for educational purposes only. So today on our show, we have Lee Hatton, Executive Vice President at Afterpay. Lee has more than 20 years' experience internationally in the financial services industry and has held senior executive roles in marketing, strategy, and risk in large-scale customer-facing businesses. In 2020, Lee joined the global executive team at Afterpay and is responsible for driving the business's strategy for new products and services. Previously, she was the CEO of Ubank from 2015 to 2020, and she's also been recognised by IBM as one of the 40 women leaders in artificial intelligence across the globe for her work in delivering world-first innovations. Lee holds a Bachelor of Business from Auckland University of Technology and is an alumni of Berkeley Haas School of Business. She's also a member of the Chief Executive Women, which represents Australia's most senior and distinguished female leaders. If that's not enough, she's also a non-executive director of Zero, and was previously an executive director of NAB Ventures and TEC. Welcome to the show, Lee. Hey, thank you so much. It's so cool to be here with you guys. I honestly feel like your bio is just so impressive. We don't even need to do the podcast. Like we should just stop it there. End of end of show. I was thinking my bio was so boring. I really should get that updated. Yeah, anyway, thank you so much. This is very, very kind of you. No, we absolutely love it. And we're so excited to have you on the show today. Um, So as I sort of briefly mentioned, and if you have had the opportunity to listen in to any of our other episodes, we love to start every ep with the same question. So we'll kick it off and we've had some pretty good ones. So given your huge career, I'm expecting a good story here. But could you share with Uh our listeners... (laughs) What is your most embarrassing career moment? So, you know, luckily enough, I hadn't heard this one before. So you are getting me, I don't know if it's lucky or not, but you're getting me off the cuff. So, um, yeah, most embarrassing moment. I was thinking, man, we start. But the one that seems, you know, appropriate, well, it's actually not that appropriate, but I did wear a shirt to work once. That Once I was there, I realized it was see-through. <laughs> and I, I didn't I didn't have a resolve for that and um someone had to point it out to me like I'd just been busy all day it was like hey Lee did you realize so it wasn't great <laughs> I've had a few kind of moments where I could have had very embarrassing moments one of them would be when Juno had asked me to kind of jump up on a table and look powerful by putting my hands on my hips <laughs> and I remember Amanda who was working with me was like don't do that don't do it. and I was like thank god someone with sanity is with me because I was just about to jump on a chair and get up there so <laughs> you know I, I yeah I think I could have done a lot more embarrassing things but I've had some good people around me to avoid that from happening yeah, there'll be plenty more to come though. Yeah, plenty more to come. <laughs> We've actually had a few wardrobe mishaps mm. as the embarrassing moment. So it's obviously quite common, which is very funny. And look, I think anyone who heard your bio obviously knows that you've had an incredible career and we're sure that it hasn't yet reached its peak. But for our listeners who don't really know, could you give us a bit of a background on how you got into banking in the first place? 
Oh, yeah, sure. So, um, well, I'm a Kiwi. You can probably tell that by my accent. I grew up on a dairy farm in a little town called Edgecombe. Maybe like during the 80s, I got hooked on that movie Wall Street or something. But I was just always really fascinated, I guess, by money. Maybe because I was in a dairy farm, we didn't have much money. I, I just found it really interesting. This is an embarrassing moment. I had a necklace with a dollar sign on it. It was pretty <laughs> cool. I will also point out to our listeners that you are wearing a, a jumper with the words money written on it. <laughs> Mm, I'm feeling like there is a theme going on here. I also actually used to sign my name with a dollar sign at the end of it. There is something very weird, very weird going on. Anyhow, so went up to Auckland University. I was looking for the highest paying job at Student Job Search, and that was to be a bank teller at Westpac. So that is how I got into financial services. And I just never looked back, actually. Like once I got into that working world, I think I was 18 years old. I was getting maybe $16 an hour and I was just pumped, you know, like it was just like so awesome. And so from there, I went on to their graduate program. I did lots and lots of different roles. I loved the fact that, you know, you could do customer facing or I really wanted to do a stint in the ivory tower because all the important people came from head office. And so I went into HR for a while and I ran their grad program. Like I just had the most amazing experience. Um, And then I guess I had to go into the real world. So after I'd finished all, all my studies, it was like, okay, now's the time. What do you want to do? And I headed out into business bank which was where real men lend money. And so if you could, you know, make it with the men, you were going to make it. And so, that, you know, that was just fascinating. You know, it was awesome to kind of be a female learning in this environment that was so male-dominated. So I did a stint in the UK. I did a stint in the States. I came back to New Zealand. I followed my mentors around. So one of my mentors from Westpac had gone to Bank of New Zealand. I went with her. I was fortunate enough to be the chief of staff for Andrew Thorburn in 2008 during the GFC. And so, you know, when you're getting into name day crises and all sorts of stuff going on, you just learn so, so much. I ran big businesses, like thousands and thousands of people, which actually your job is all about capturing hearts and minds. And then it was awesome to just kind of transfer into tech and just kind of really, I guess, always kind of looking forward and seeing what are those trends that are coming out that could actually impact on our today and kind of, I don't know, I guess kind of pushing the boundaries on your role every day to think about what if it wasn't here, what would the next thing be? And I think cloud was probably the piece that came for me that really shifted my thinking about what was possible. So yeah, what finds me here is probably a mixture of financial services, tech, innovation, and just a, a, a love of building great products for people. You've basically just said all the buzzwords I think that um, everyone thinks of when they think of finance. So good to hear they are alive and well. Um, you've obviously held you know, a clear number of really impressive roles previously and currently. So I feel it would be amiss of me not to mention and focus on your current role with Afterpay. I'd love to know what excited you about the Afterpay opportunity and, you know, why did you join the company and how are you finding that role different to others, banks or other positions you've held? So I'd known Anton Nick since they had founded Afterpay. I, you know, known them for a long time. The reason I joined them actually was deeply personal, like 
I'd been traveling a lot in my career and I decided I, I didn't want to get on a plane on a Sunday night anymore. And I'd taken the most amazing role with amazing people, but I was really missing my boys. I'm a mum of three boys. And yeah, I just decided I didn't want to do that. And of course, if you know those two founders, they are beautiful at luck and timing. And so I happened to be going for a walk with Nick and he was like, oh, maybe now's the time, Lee. Maybe now's the time that you should be joining us. And so, yeah, I think it was a, a beautiful moment of luck and timing and kind of purpose and joy. And so that's kind of why I'm here. What we really want to do is build the next evolution of Afterpay. We call it the second album. It's all about being as good with savings as we are at spending. You know, we can see there's this massive generational shift in the way that we think about money. And we really want to be at the forefront of that and really support millennial and Gen Z with a way that feels really, you know, uplifting and empowering. And, you know, we're highly trusted as a brand and we take it, you know, so personally that, you know, I I think we can build something really special um, for the future. Yeah, that's really exciting and leads on really well to our next question. I guess we've seen more and more business models that are coming to market that are really changing the way that traditional financial services can be viewed and their relationship with the consumer. I guess, why do you think the financial services industry is one that is kind of ripe for disruption? So I should say, like, I I think I will always be a really proud banker. Like I grew up in financial services. It taught me everything I know and lots of things I shouldn't know. But, you know, I've been really, really kind of lucky, I guess, in a way to have learned so much during my career and in large financial institutions. I think the the challenge that they grapple with is their ability to connect with the customer. Sometimes, you know, too big to fail is more a commercial term, but I think too big to fail occurs when you lose sight of who your customer is and what they need. And my sense is that we have these amazing financial institutions that are full of very talented people, but they short-term results for what is required and that means that you can lose sight on what's really important which is the customer today that is standing in front of you and that sounds like a julia roberts movie waiting to be served you know like it's just like yeah i think that's the piece i think there is verticals of disruption that will always be there and should be there and we after pay we can't sit back and expect that it wouldn't happen to us too, right? Like everybody is right for disruption. It's not just the large financial institutions, but if you strip it all back, the further away you get from the customer and probably the more in the ivory tower you become, the higher at risk you are of being pipped off your post. Absolutely. I think your view on disruption there is critical, especially the focus on the customer. And you often do see disruptive businesses come through because they have made that focus. So I think that's really clear. I guess one of the other sort of key constraints to fintechs or, or neobanks, and I know, you know, you've worked at NAB Ventures, Ubank, Suncorp, is really that they typically get acquired by larger banks, Afterpay now included, for the technology, you know, the customers, the staff, or all the above. So I guess is there still an opportunity for larger players to compete with major banks or are they just too big for new entrants to have a chance. What's your view there? 
look, I I think there's always opportunity. Like even our acquisition, and you know, we can't talk too much about it, but that's about two amazing brands, you know, being able to bring something that has joint purpose to the world, right? Like this is not just about an acquisition. There's this real belief between both companies about fairness and financial freedom and economic empowerment. And, you know, that is very, very different to what you see in large conglomerate or corporates today. And so I think there is huge opportunity for any company coming through that is really purposeful and genuinely solving problems, right, and can provide value to either an individual or to a business And yeah, there might be a round of consolidation, but I think what that lends itself to, it can't just be incrementalism, right? Like it actually has to be for the global ambition. And I think we're an awesome example of global ambition for that. It's certainly not a a tuck under or anything like that. Yeah, that's great. Thank you, Lee. You know, you highlight that disruption in financial services is all about the relationship with the customer. And then you also talk about financial freedom and economic empowerment. So I guess on that note, could you tell us a little bit about money by Afterpay and what we can expect? And I guess, you know, some of your views as to why you think women have typically been a little bit left out in the financial services space for so long. And I guess whether you think that females, I guess, lack a little bit of confidence when it comes to financial decisions, investing and money in general. Just there is a lot in that there is a lot in that question, but let me give it a go. Let me give it a go. Yeah, I mean, money is obviously super exciting, and we hope you're going to love it too when we can um, get into your mobile mobile phone. You know, a massive part of this is not about building me too stuff. Like I think there is always an evolution and innovation where you just build on the best, right? And so. In Australia, we're pretty bloody good at mobile banking apps, but we're not awesome, right? And money is about being extra good at this. So it's a little bit of like money meets Instagram. You know, it's about savings, innovations, like what ways to really think about saving for your future. And it's about putting you front and center of your money, right? And I think it's one of those things where you know, money as a topic has just become much broader and we seek our communities in order to help us make good financial decisions. I mean, yeah, when we were doing the early kind of research on it and you kind of know this stuff because you grow up in it, right? When you're a female exec, you kind of grow up knowing that there's this, you know, gender pay gap that everyone talks about. And, you know, there's not many women in executive roles and there's not enough women on boards. And, you know, you kind of feel like you're on the back foot right from the beginning. And I think that's something that just kind of permeates weirdly in the world. So, you know, we earn less and so therefore we have less in our superannuation. So when we're like 50, women are going to have, this was kind of old research, so hopefully it's still relevant, but 73% less saved than a man would have, right? And so you just kind of go, there's all these kind of things that feel like they're a little bit stacked against us. You know, 29% of women compared to 41% of men get taught about investing 
But like when we teach women how to invest, their returns are like more than 10% higher. Like there's all these little kind of facts that are sitting around there that, yeah, I don't know. I feel like we can be a lot more helpful in the conversation. I feel like, you know, we're smart and clever. We understand the environment well. We know what it takes to be successful. And if we can share some of that with customers and really bring to life how to leverage afterpay in particular for good like cash flow usage rather than having to rely on credit cards or overdrafts or things like that you know I think we've got some really good positive messages and opportunities to share and so yeah maybe there there was a little bit early on where we were like man's not a plan you know like we're we're just going to really make sure that we focus in this space but the more that we kind of pushed on that and itched the scratch the more it became increasingly obvious that it was important to this generation for someone to really listen to them and have a different conversation so yeah we're going to do that so a lot of people are saying oh you're building a banking app yeah whatever like yes it has to have some fundamental principles and you know what we've all kind of grown up with our mums and dads being the only ones that have advised us around money and they all had them so we roughly know what that looks like but yeah, you can trust that it will increasingly start to look exponentially different to anything that you have seen. And that's because it will be built by you as well as we go forward. You know, it's a, a massive part of listening and learning along the way that we get the the privilege of doing. Sounds like a really, really exciting opportunity. And Em um, and I love a positive message too. And maybe Em, we can get our listeners' returns 10% higher as well. So we're all achieving a common goal. <laughs> Yes, come on, let's do it. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Um, so what from what you just said, you know, I can clearly tell you keep yourself extremely accountable. And I'm sure being an executive at Afterpay comes with a lot of responsibility. As you mentioned, you know, you're trying not to sit in that sort of ivory office per se. So what difference do you plan on making during your time with the company? And how do you look at your role from your personal perspective? Oh, I mean, as I said, this is our second album, right? And I guess one of the most exciting things for me, we've built a brand new team. We have 40 new people now in Afterpay that without money, you know, would not necessarily be in this, you know, realm of the rocket ship. And so I think there is a massive impact on the culture of the company that we participate in because, of course, You've gone from being one thing, like paying for, and, you know, we're really expanding out now to understand so much more of our customers and our merchants, you know, with the two-sided platform. So I think that's really exciting. So I'd love to have a positive impact, especially on the culture and on our opportunities for the future. And, like, this is just the beginning, right? If you think about what money can become, in terms of an ecosystem and a way to, you know, live your life. Yeah, I I think it's going to be really, really exciting. So even if I put a tiny little dent in that, I'll be super happy. Yeah. I think Afterpay is in good hands. They're lucky to have you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. So just turning a little bit to, I know something that's been fairly topical in the investment community. I know it's been something that has been on the radar for analysts since I've been looking at the stock, but 
you know, the afterpay credit decisioning model is a little bit different to the traditional banks and I guess some of the competitors. And we've also obviously been in a pretty healthy credit cycle of late. So I guess what gives you confidence that you can weather a storm if we were to have one, particularly in Australia? And I guess what is the key focus for credit and, you know, decisioning and and who you choose to give credit to going forward? Yeah, so I think a couple of principles on this one that have stood really, really well for us is you start with a really small limit, right? Like you always start with a really small limit and you work your way up as your, you know, behavior improves. I mean, one of the the fundamentals about having a, a good business and, you know, this is different across the industry, but your ability to have very good data and great data analytics is absolutely critical. So, you know, that really gives me confidence because actually when we touch things, we know what we're talking about. I think the other thing is too that we're really, really focused on making sure that our customers are safe. So we have that principle in place where we're like, look, if you miss a repayment, we're going to have to cut you off, right? And like call us because we'll have good conversations about how to get you back on track and things. So our contact center is just fantastic, the work that they do. But you have to have that control in place that says, hey, it's effectively a speeding ticket. And until you pay it, you won't be driving again. So I think that's another really good principle that we've had in place right from the outset that we've been really overt about as well that says, you miss a payment, we'll cut you off and um, you're not going to be able to transact with us again until you sort that out. So, yeah, I think we we have lots of that in place. We have lots of thoughtful kind of leadership pieces going on that people don't always see in the headlines, but, you know, doing financial literacy work with a retail association. We were piloting some stuff there to help people understand money better. So, you know, there are lots of bits that go on, but you know, the business person in me says, I've got the data, so therefore I feel confident. I guess the the leader in me and the customer champion says, we've put some good controls in place so that if that occurs, we certainly know how, how to solve for that in a way in which we believe is really reasonable. I guess second to that question, Lee, and something that I think is also being discussed a lot in the financial industry at the moment, especially in the banking sector, is around regulation. How do you see that evolving in the space? Do you think it'll be a you know a hindrance or an advantage to Afterpay and I guess those other fintech models? Well, we kind of, we were champions of the code, right, <laughs> of the buy now, pay later code. And we always talk about fit for purpose regulation, right? Like we are not anti-regulation. We are just, we're into fit for purpose regulation. And so I think the most important thing is that we make sure and we influence that it is fit for purpose. And we're always open-minded. We're very active in the debates. I think the other thing that I'm always really conscious of is that not all buy now pay laters are created equally, right? Like we, we're still like, it's less than $2,000, you know, like there are people calling themselves buy now pay later that are doing up to $30,000 limits. So, I mean, I think there's just that recognition too, that that's why if you're going to regulate, you do it, you know, with the facts in front of you, you don't try to do a, a catch all. And I feel like the code is, is a really good start of that. Yeah, great. Thanks for that, Lee. 
As you may know, one of, I guess, the key reasons we started the podcast was really to promote female voices within the finance industry. And one of the small ways that we do this on the show is by at least having equal representation of female guests to male speakers. And so far we've interviewed a number of really influential, driven and financially literate females, which is fantastic. I guess, what is your approach to leadership and do you feel a sense of accountability or duty to educate and promote financial industry to all people, but particularly younger women? And is there a role that men can play to help support this as well? Wow. Um, Like, yes, yes, and yes. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's just like, I I love the people that you've had on the podcast. Like Gabby, I could just talk to all day, right? It's so much fun and so smart. I, I mean, I'm just overwhelmed by the likes of yourselves, you know, so many talented females out there really giving it a go. You know, from my leadership perspective, I, I just think you want to be encouraging, right? And believe in each other and push, you know, push really hard to get the best out of people in a way in which, you know, there's a whole lot of self-belief. I think that's probably the piece that whenever I've been my best, it's because someone has believed in me. And I'd like to think that I can believe in myself. Like I get all of that. I have been like unpacked by so many corporate psychologists. Like I could really bore you on this stuff. But I think, I think really, don't we just want to love what you do, right? And you want to be with good people and you want to do good stuff because you achieve together, right? And that's kind of what makes it fun. I was like blown away the other day. The team and I, we were on a... um, a Zoom call with AWS, um, with Anna Green from AWS. She's a rock star, right? And there were, I don't know, seven or eight of us on the call, two guys, six women, and she was like, shut the front door. Like, what are all these women doing on this call in a financial services realm? She was like, you've got a legal counsel. You've got a head of regulatory affairs. You've got your head of operation. Like, they're all women. Right. And it was like, oh, yeah, like, isn't that normal? But I I think this is the piece. It's not normal and it should be. And so everything that we can do to promote each other, I think we have to kind of make that happen. So, yeah, that's probably the way that I feel about it. And also, too, crikey, I mean, finding myself building this product is probably something I feel like I was born to do. Right. So, yeah, I think there's something really special about this conversation for the next generation. And it's weird too, because as a mum of three boys, I kind of always thought I'd build something for them, right? But I know they'll want it, right? And it'll be like, well, you know, that's because we're all equal. It's equally for you as it is for women. But it's just, I've started it with a, a different vision in mind. So no, super cool. Absolutely. And before we head to our last question and turning away from Afterpay for just a split second, you're also a non-executive director for Zero. Yeah. You know, I've definitely thought about in the future, what do I want to do? And I always tell people, I just want to sit on a heap of boards and I think <laughs> I'd be great at it. So <laughs> I'm sure you'd be great at it. They don't know it's the right answer. <laughs> but what is the typical role of a non-executive director? You know, I think people have these different perceptions. You know, I definitely do. And um, I'd love a bit of insight into what you actually do in that role, especially for our listeners that are also interested in a career path that might lead them to be a NED. Oh, goodness me. Um, you're making me feel very mature today. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, 
So like when I went on the zero board, like kudos to Rodgery, right? Like I was 38 years old. I was an executive in a bank running regulatory affairs. Admittedly, I'd known him years beforehand when I was running an M&A team in New Zealand. But, you know, he like put me through the ringer to go on that board. And I didn't really know what I was getting myself into. I just knew I was really curious and I also knew that I loved rolling my sleeves up and getting stuff done. And Zero was that company, right? They were running so hard and so fast. They weren't even at a million customers. They were at like 100,000. You know, like it was early, early days. And, you know, to kind of look back on the different director I've needed to be over the years of that company, I guess that would be my advice, right, is it sounds so good to be a director. It, it, like, it's very special. Like, don't get me wrong. It's amazing, amazing privilege. But to be your best on a board, you've got to, A, love the company, which is something I'm, you know, so fortunate to have. I feel like I've grown up with it. But B, you need to be what they need at the time because you're like their people, right? Like, you're the ones that are there to, some would call it govern, but you're actually there to protect, right? So that like you're playing defense for them so that they can run as hard and as fast as they can. And so, yeah, I think those are the things with being a director. Choose the company really well to play to your strengths as well because you want to love it. Yeah. That's really, really good insight. And I'm really sad to say that we're coming to our very last question, which is kind of on a similar path, but we finish every episode with a question on what can you share as your top career tip? And I think you've actually shared a lot of valuable insights, but if you have one thing that you could maybe leave with our listeners, I'm sure that that would be super useful. Um, yeah, sorry, I'm I'm laughing because I am so late to the party and watching Ted Lasso. So late to the party. And like how much fun is that guy? Like, oh my god, he's like a laugh a minute, right? So <laughs> the the thing that comes immediately to mind, and only because I've been using this a lot today, there's a scene where he's playing like darts and he's talking about always being underestimated. Right. And, you know, as females, whether we like it or not, we're often underestimated. And I remember seeing a t shirt once and it said, Underestimate me, that'll be fun. You know, (laughs) oh God, that's a bit of a that's a harsh way to go. But the thing he says, which I thought was really cool, is he said, you know, people should choose to be curious, not judgmental. And when you're curious and not judgmental, you know, you learn something. And it's like, oh, and it's just so good. So, you know, if you ever find yourself in the group where you just think this is effed, you know, like lift out of it and go, what's the curious question to have here? Yeah, there we go. That would be it today. That's awesome. Thanks, Lee. Thank you so much. We'll continue to be curious, Em. And um, who knows, maybe we'll have you on at another point in time when we are uh, bigger and better and even more curious. So thank you so much, Lee, for coming on. We've really enjoyed the, the show and we hope our listeners too. Oh, awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks.